Good evening and welcome to Ryan and Ryan Education Today. This is episode 21 of season one. I am Ryan Limley and back with me, returning literally from the brink of death, is my co-host Ryan Weary. Good evening, Ryan. Yeah, we're, we're, we're making it now. We're on full go, full gear. So, so you're back uh, 100% healthy? Yeah, yeah, so far. Um, looking looking forward to this warm weather. I do have an educational question to start off the podcast for you. Okay. Which is which is this. Is is the behavior of students worse from the full moon or from spring weather when it gets better? What do you think? Listen, full moon all day, every day, twice on Sunday. My wife and I have conversations about it at home. I know there's no scientific data to support it, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you from a guy in the field, it's full moon. It's full moon. Okay. Not even close. That might be a separate podcast all in itself. Like <laughs> just about the full moon. Just about like superstitions or, or uh, you know, trends uh, that we see in education today. So if we're doing full moon, I'll have to lean on your scientific knowledge. So <laughs> um would like to uh take a minute to thank Dan Dan Leffingwell for filling in in your absence. Um, I don't know if you've heard it yet or not, Ryan, but he was ready to come to your house and give you one of those man up speeches. Well, it wouldn't be the first time that I've got a man up speech from Dan. So, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm used to that, I guess. And uh, but, you know, sometimes we just never learn. You know? Well, you nearly got another one. But um, so tonight, as usual in our podcast, we'll, we'll try to break down and provide insight into issues facing today's rapidly changing educational environment. We'll look at issues from the student, parent, teacher, and administrator perspective. And, and Ryan, this one was kind of an easy one for us because tonight we have our superintendent, Kyle Newton, with us tonight. Um, good evening, Kyle. Hey, how are you guys doing? Great. Well, thanks for joining us. This was one that that I'd kind of put off for a little while. Um, it was like the you were the easy button a couple of times in case people canceled. But uh, you're actually going to be the, the first guest. You're kind of going to help us kick off um, a series on wraparound services. So this is a real one, buddy. This wasn't just an easy button. Well, I'm actually a little surprised by that. I know I've given you some grief that I, I'm one of the few people that haven't been on your podcast yet and that you could actually ask to do this and probably would say yes. And, uh, you know, wait till January, I guess, or end of now February before I get on. So, well, and there was actually some logic behind it on, on our part. Yeah. Um, we, we, we're being strategic. Yeah. Strategery. Yeah. So, well, well, we know that you have a you have uh, a lot of ideas and vast knowledge on a lot of different things. So now that we've talked about a lot of different things, now we can kind of bring those all together. See, it's all planned. It's all planned together. I got it. I got it. <laughs> so, so Kyle, I, I know some of the things that that I'm about to ask you. Um, I can actually sometimes say, "Hey, tell that story." Like when we're in a meeting, and and you'll tell a certain story. Uh, one of which I think would be really good for our listeners to hear in a little bit. But uh, why don't you start with just for people who are listening that that only know you like in passing or if it's somebody in our district who who knows you but doesn't really know you. Um, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Like, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Lorraine County, 
uh, in a small town called Columbia Station. Columbia Station is uh, one of those traditional townships, five by five mile, literally, uh, and it was, you know, a square. There's two sides of the square stick into Cuyahoga County, which is where Cleveland's at, and then one of the sides is on Medina's side, which is uh, where Medina and the southern part of um, Cleveland kind of area is, so it's a far west side suburb. The school district was about a thousand students, still is about eleven 1, hundred students. Um, grew up with about five acres, so very similar to uh, a Warren type, you know, household with, uh, you know, rural but not rural kind of at the same time. Um, the paper was actually called the Rural Urban, the local paper, which is kind of an interesting name, Rural Urban. Um, we were about 15 minutes from Strongsville, 15 minutes from Berea, uh, all at the same time we could go. My dad worked downtown uh, most of his career, so he could easily jump on the freeway and go downtown and work where he worked in a hospital. And so kind of grew up there. Uh, my parents, you know, my sister still lives on the same street that my, uh, my parents do. My dad does. Uh, my sister's a teacher. My dad was in the medical field. Neil's five. Um, there's, uh, I think, 12 years between me and my youngest sister. So just that, that very kind of traditional um, suburb, but not really suburb of Cleveland area person. So what did you do like for fun at that time? Like what was there to do around there that, that you guys would get really excited about? Well, we're all, we're all about the same age. So you guys know how this was. There's, there was no cell phones. There was no it was more or less you go outside and then you just came back when it was dark. Um, I was, I had, you know, we rode our bikes. We'd end up in places that we probably shouldn't have been, you know, exploring and in the woods. And I spent a lot of time in the woods, a lot of time build, building tree forts and, and, and forts and hideaways and battling the, uh, those kind of people, uh, you know, just kind of hanging out with friends that were, you know, from all over a couple miles away that we, we'd seen to meet up in the woods and, build a new fort and move on in the next summer and take your food with you and take a couple bucks so that you could go down to the, the dollar store and get penny candy. That was like one of the greatest things in the world uh, where I lived. We had a, a corner store that was about two miles away called Doppelhauer's. I spent many uh, afternoons in the summer sitting on their steps eating really bad candy and, and uh, Fago pop so that I could get as much as I could out of the $2 that I would have in my pocket um you know literally come back when you got hungry and wanted dinner did a lot of things like that played a lot of summer baseball as i grew up my i my parents always seemed to be running youth sports leagues my dad ran the baseball league growing up and and i ended up umpiring a lot uh, throughout probably from the age i was 13 up i pretty much umpired from the time i was 13 all the way through college that was kind of my summer job and then played the traditional baseball, football, uh, played some basketball. That was horrible. Didn't like basketball. Um, just running around in a gym for no reason, chasing a ball. Just that was absolutely the worst thing I could ever do. But outside sports were so much more fun. Um, so did that all through uh, high school. Went to college. Um, did the normal thing there too. But, you know, I think my, my greatest memory is that my parents ran uh the the sports leagues and things like that when we grow up 
So I want to talk more about the the high school and college thing here in just a second. But so did you? Let me ask you this question: Did you guys go like into Cleveland much since you were fairly close? Did, are you like a Browns fan now? I I you know it's interesting because when you live in when I grew up, Cle you know the downtowns of the downtown cities, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus. When you went downtown, you had either had a press. there was no there was no like oh we're going to go do this event. You know, now when we go downtown to Columbus and we go downtown to Cleveland or even Cincinnati, you're going downtown, you're doing the dinners, you're doing the, you know, the gentrified neighborhoods, and it's all really nice. When I grew up, Cleveland was not like that. You weren't going to go there after dark. Um, you were, you went there, you worked, and then you left. So there was no reason for me when I was growing up and I could drive or anything like that to, to go downtown. Now, going to an Indians game, um, that was back when they had they played a municipal field. One of the uh, we would always take the train down. There's a Metro Park train. It's like a electric train that goes pretty close to my house, and we would take the train down. So there's about a 45 minute train ride. Greatest thing in the world if you're going downtown and you're on you know one of the suburb sides, you can take the train. We take the train down, get out at Tower City, and then walk down to the to the field. We still do that. I Westside Market is a place that I go all the time when I'm home. Um, but it was it was really really it was it was not the kind of place that it is now that's for sure so let me i want to jump back to this official like 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 <clears throat> did you volunteer did your dad say hey you're going to be an official and on top of that like did you have like a favorite like you know you know how i'm thinking the naked gun two and a half you know yeah they strike and then the crowd erupts right i'm thinking yeah. you have like a was there ever a time? I mean, did that teach you some how to deal with parents, how to deal with people? Because that's pretty. It seems pretty young to deal with that sort of thing. Interestingly enough, my dad was my dad was a surgical assistant, so you know, kind of like a PA is now. But back in the day, those kind of people didn't really exist. So it was one of those things that he got the job because he was in the Navy, and when he got out in the Navy, he got that job. And and essentially, the guy was like, "Oh, you're pretty talented. You should come help me do heart surgery." It's like, oh, okay, surgical assistant. We'll just make that up. Um, so he wasn't a nurse, and he was just trained through that, and then picked up some classes. So when you had a heart, when you had heart surgery, when you had bypasses, they'd have to actually stay with the patient the whole time. So anytime my dad was home was like a cherished moment because he would have to stay and do like stay with the actual patient overnight if he had done a heart surgery that day. So it was one of those weird things where. When I could spend time with him, that's what we would do. So he umpired and he loved baseball. My dad is a freaking, is a freaking freak about baseball. One of those guys that's always listened to any kind of game. And so when I, from a very young age, I would go and watch him umpire. So umpiring became one of those things that it was just one of those natural things that when I was like, oh, this is what you do. Everybody umpires. And, you know, I just thought everybody did that. I thought everybody played summer baseball. You know, actually, I really thought everybody played summer baseball. So when when I umpired my first T-ball game, I was probably, you know, 13. And then by the time I was in high school, I actually stopped playing baseball so that I could umpire. So I was actually umpiring high school games while I was in high school. Um, I did my first varsity game. It was uh, Medina versus Brunswick, which is two D1 schools. It was my senior year. It was probably the second game of the season. It was freaking freezing. It was snowing. And I'm doing a D1 baseball game behind the plate. And I'm like seven, 17. So I probably, you know, I was super like, it, 
I probably could have went pro if I really would have stuck with stuck with it. But it was one of those things that I was I was pretty good. I didn't get intimidated. It's it's probably why I'm the way I am with the way that you know you get these jobs where people yell at you all the time, and you just have to learn to diffuse the situation and ignore what you need to ignore and then do what you need to do. So it was it was one of those things that I guess just my dad and me we do lots of games together and then. When I got into college, it was like super easy. I went went to Ryle, so I did all over, uh, kind of that that lead there. So, so what uh, high school did you actually attend up that way? I went to Columbia High School. Um, yeah, so Columbia Local is the name of the school district, and then Columbia High School. And so, were other than the athletics that you'd already mentioned, what other things were you involved there? I was super involved in club in clubs. Clubs was my thing. If I could, if I could do anything, um, playing football and doing something in student council and key club were probably the two biggest things I did. I was in a state run organization for student council at the time, Ohio Association of Student Councils. And I, I traveled the whole state doing stuff with that staffing events. And I started doing that my, in between my seventh, eighth grade year, I went to the first couple of, um, Back then, they'd have things called Saturday regionals, and then Super Saturday was a one-day Saturday event, and then state conference and summer com- summer like camps. And the camps were at Oberlin or Muskingum, uh, and I went to both of those, and I staffed both of those at different points. Went all the way through doing that, went to lots of state conferences, actually ran for a state representative at one point. Uh, didn't get it, but that was a very interesting experience. Um, then I was also a big person in Key Club, was the, my chapter's president two years in a row. Uh, did that, which is Key Club obviously is a part of Kiwanis. So always being a part of that student leadership experience and working with um, kind of like nonprofits. And at, of course, at the time, I didn't understand what a nonprofit was, but working with that kind of community event and uh, working with different different groups within the within our community as well. So you have, you living near Cleveland area, you have a lot of choices in terms of colleges because I know there's a lot, there's a lot going on up there. So where did you, where did you settle in? How'd that, how'd that process go? Well, again, you know, this is pre-internet. The first time I was on the internet was probably just like you guys were in school in college. Like I don't sophomore year. I'm like, this doesn't look any, this is like a, you know, an encyclopedia on the, on the screen. I didn't get it, but you know, so I actually went, knew I wanted to be a teacher, knew I wanted to go in education. I knew I wanted to be one of two. Actually, I had three things that I thought I could be, a pro umpire, which you really didn't know you could go to college to do. Pro umpire, wouldn't mind going into the military, doing something with the military, and then, or a teacher. And or all of those things would have been fine with me. So, you know, looked at the schools in Ohio that were uh, based you know, basically were really good schools for, for teachers. I had some college friends that were going to Miami, Ohio State, Toledo, uh, Kent, Akron. And so I had visited all those schools while I was in, while I was in high school. My parents were no big deal. Kyle, go, go ahead and go. I, I, my parents let me drive all over the place when I was in high school. I don't, I can't imagine letting my children do that now, but they were, I guess it's a different world that we lived in, you know, again, no cell phones. So it was one of those things where I'll call you when I get there. Um, so I visited all over a whole bunch of different colleges and I, and I hadn't really found a place that I thought was great. But when I looked online or looked on um, U.S. News and World Report, top three schools for education were Ashland, Miami, and Rio Grande. 
And I was like, Rio Grande? What is Rio Grande? Of course, I was saying Rio Grande at the time, but... Um, University of Rio Grande, Rio Grande Community College. Yes, uh-huh. yes. So I thought to myself, well, this this sounds like if if it's the largest major there of like 33% of the students are in education, they must know what they're doing. And it's in southeastern Ohio. My my dad's parents were, my, my great-grandparents were from the Ironton area down in southern Ohio. So it was like one of those places that you know, my parents had kind of like been around. We had, we were always going to state parks and stuff. So I was used to going to, you know, the middle of nowhere and kind of doing that kind of stuff. My dad's like, well, this is what are you going to do? Let's, let's go take a college visit. So we took a college visit to Rio, went down and stayed the night before, um, got there pretty late because it takes about five hours to get there from where my parents live. And so while I was driving through, we get there probably just about 7, 7.30, and we're going to drive around Ryle. If you've ever driven around Ryle, it's literally like a, bl- like a big block. Like you just, it's nothing. Lots and when of speed I got up, Lots yeah, of speed it's, yeah. So when you get off then, um, when I got off, and this is 94, uh, there was no McDonald's, the gas station, there was a BP, and then like this really not nice gas station kind of further in which had really good sandwiches if you'd stay and have them make you a sandwich. And then, and then essentially that, that was pretty much it. You just kind of drove in, drove around. My dad said to me after we got to about Lion Center, he go, looks at me and goes, we do not have to stay. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He's like, we can just start going home right now, you know, because yeah. you're not going to go here, are you? I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> and he's like, how do you compare this to, we had already gone to Ashland. I had already actually been accepted to Ashland, you know, which is a great tradition. You know, it's a small school, but totally different than Rio at the time. Mm-hmm. New dorm had just been built. So it was one of those things where it was like very, very small, very, very rural. You know, it was a dry campus. You do not have to go here. I, I just hear that all the time and we laugh about it, but I ended up going there. Mm. So I got to tell you this story real quick. Um, my grandparents actually lived in a little town in Gallia County called Vinton. So not Vinton County, but a little town called Vinton that was eh, 10 to 15 minutes outside of Rye Grand. And so when I was getting ready to decide my undergrad, my parents had cooked up this plan. Well, you're just going to go to Rye Grand and live with your grandparents. And I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> no uh, 18 year old wants to live with their grandparents. So I had to buck that and I went to OU, but then I, I ended up coming back. I think you knew this. I My uh, master's degree is from Rio. So I spent a lot of time in Rio as a kid just because my grandparents lived so close. So very familiar with that whole area. Yeah. So did you want to just go to Rio to kind of get away? I mean, because the other ones were kind of near where you're from, or well, not actually, live with your grandparents. Yeah, not yeah, live with your No, yeah. So Rio was probably. I mean, Ashland, which was probably my next closest choice, was probably forty minutes, maybe, from my parents' house. You know, so it was, it was real. Like now, forty minutes for us is that's you know how long it takes me to get to Walmart from McConnellsville. So I mean, but there, forty minutes was kind of far away, but you know, not. So I was like, no, I got to go further away than that. Um, 
And I had spent some time on some other smaller campuses. And truthfully, just because of the education, I just, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And I really understood that if you're going to go to college, you should go to college for what you're going to be, you know, what your major is and what they're good at. Because, I, and I, I don't know why I understood that at the time, but I had some friends that were older that were wasting time at colleges because they were either playing sports there or, or, you know, for whatever reason. And that they didn't really have their major or wasn't really what they wanted to do wasn't really incorporated in that school. So knowing that they had what I wanted. And I also met with somebody at one point when you meet with, you know, like you do your tour that day and uh, actually met with somebody in the education department and ended up being a, a mentor of mine, Dr. Spieg. And he said to me, you can be a, you know, you can be a, a big fish in a very, very, very small pond. He didn't put as many berries in there or you can be, you know, a big fish in a very big pond. And, you know, that was one of those things that resonated with me that I wasn't going to get lost in their campus. I was going to, you know, have to make my own way. So, yeah, I, I mean, it turned out for the best. I met my wife there who ended up with, you know, jobs out of it and everything else that could have come from that. So it was, it was good. So at, at some point, though, and I just know this because I know you and I can actually tell some of your stories. When, when did you join the military? Because you were in the reserves or the guard at some point in here, right? Yeah. So military has always been one of those things that was super uh, kind of impressed on me that it's one of those things that I, I think everybody should take the opportunity to serve in some way. And I, I'm colorblind, strangely enough. Um, and I knew that I was colorblind my whole life or for the most part of my whole life. I would have loved to go into academy. That was really what I wanted to do. But being colorblind, you can't get into it. So at one point, I thought about, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to join, you know, the reserves and see what happens. Now, looking back on it, if I knew what I knew now, I would have joined the, the National Guard because that would have made a lot more sense. Um, joining the reserves is the exact same thing as joining the, the National Guard, except you don't get the scholarship opportunity. So in between my freshman and sophomore year, no, in between my sophomore and junior year, I went to basic training um, and AIT. So we had a, a, a normal summer break. I left a little early for from school that spring and got back about three weeks late into the the quarter. Um, and that, or you know what, it was it was in between my freshman and sophomore year got back a little late and then started classes up a little late joined rotc that year um so had three years of rotc which I, I didn't realize again that you couldn't be an officer i was top cadet going into my senior year and uh can't be colorblind if you're an army officer at all even through the reserves um but military science was was when my was my minor so all that work too um and did my I actually uh, was in a unit out of Canova, West Virginia, kind of uh, way, way over on the edge by Kentucky, the tri-state area. And that unit actually closed and went to Pittsburgh. So they can't transfer you that far. So I ended up in a unit out of Parkersburg, which was a combat uh, engineer unit, which was interesting because, again, I'm, since I'm colorblind, you can only do certain MOSs if you're colorblind. And I can only do four, four jobs I can do for the Army. Only four out of like 300 jobs, I can do four. 
they didn't have that job. So they transferred me there and I didn't have a job. So I literally every drill did nothing. And at one point the commander comes over to me and he looks at me and goes, why aren't you doing anything? I said, cause I'm not MOS qualified. I'm not allowed to do anything. He's like, you're right. Why aren't you MOS qualified? I said, because they transferred me here and I'm colorblind. He goes, what are you talking about? So we sat down and he's figured it out. And he's like, he's like, what? so I ended up, I had no choice, but then I actually, uh, that was the end of my career at that point. Cause I had nowhere to go because where we lived, there was nowhere close enough for me to transfer to that would give me the right job. So I ended up only doing five years instead of six, but I satisfied my, my whole thing and ended up doing what I was supposed to do. And that's how that ended up. So had you, at, during that time, you probably finished college then? Yep, finished college, got married, had a kid. Um, we were living in Bremen for a lot of that time, for one year of that. And I was having to drive back to Parkersburg uh, for a drill. So I'd have to stay with my mother, you know, my in-laws at the time, and uh, go to drill and everything else like that. So it was, it was very interesting. Again, this is still like pre-cell phones and, and pre-internet. So it was very, you know, you're... you're relying on mail you're relying on all these weird things to to find out information um and the internet was kind of spotty if, if anything so yeah it was it was a it was a very interesting time to be to do what i was doing so i'm going to assume at this point you you landed the first teaching job where was that at so when i when tara and i graduated from college we had family at warren because tara's a warren graduate and uh, of course, my family's in Lorain County, you know, Cleveland area. Both of us are teachers. I'm a high school math teacher. She's an elementary 1A. And we said, okay, we're going to just take jobs. Wherever we both get a job, that's where we're going to go. And it was one of those things where it's one where you're just going to send out the resumes via mail and see who calls you and make sure you have an answering machine to answer, you know, like see who gives you a call. Well, being a high school math teacher is kind of like being a high school math teacher now. There's just not a lot of us. Science, same thing. You know, you pretty much knew you were going to get a job if you were willing to move to that job. So I actually take, I actually did four interviews, all of which I got, I got offered a job. And I, and I, they were all in interesting places. Trimble, you know, Dawson Bryant, which is down on the river, kind of in the middle of nowhere, right on the on the Ohio down by Arrington, um, Miller, which is where I ended up, and then uh, Riverview, which is where I did my, uh, River Valley, which is where I did my student teaching. So uh, every time I interviewed, I, I'd say about halfway through the interview, because the person was you know, liking what I was saying and whatever else, and I'd say, hey, okay, just so you know, I'm not gonna take this job unless you can get my wife an interview. And they'd look at me and I would be like, no, I'm serious. If she doesn't get an interview, we're pretty much done with this conversation because I can't move somebody where without my wife and she's a teacher too. So Chuck, Chuck Byers, who interviewed me first at Miller goes, oh, hold on a second. He leans over, calls the number down to the middle school and says, hey, I got somebody that's going to get that you're going to interview right now for that open seventh grade position. And I'm like, he and then he looks back at me and goes she's here right and i said oh yeah she's out in the car you know like with my son you know riley who was already born we went together because it's you know you know just a nice day to go for a drive kind of thing 
So she's out in the car. He, he walks out there with me and I said, um, Hey, uh, you got to go interview for a job. And she's like in shorts and a t-shirt. I mean, it's like the end of May college had just finished. And she's like, are you freaking serious? And I'm like, just smile and nod, sweetie. Give me the boy. And and I took Riley back into my interview and she walked down and went into her interview. And she actually got offered the job at Miller or Crooksville because the guy that was her principal was actually coming from Crooksville and he needed both things. So he was interviewing for both schools at the time. So yeah, it's just weird how the world works in that mm-hmm. sense. I got I, I've been very lucky, if if that makes sense. In my life, it seems like things have always fallen into place, but you know, you always come back to the lucky always are those people that overly prepare and, and put them in the right position for that. But I've been very blessed and lucky when it comes to my life and the jobs that I've been able to secure and do. Man, wouldn't it have been nice to have like a, oh, I can, I remember filling out those those papers and stuff in the envelopes, mm-hmm. sending them out to the school districts too. Man, it'd be yeah. nice just to check online and be like, oh, they have an opening. I know I can call them. Oh my gosh. Cause you never knew. Like you never, like, you never knew what, what you're going to be able to get or who was open or whatever. Right. You, you literally had no idea if you were wasting a stamp or not wasting a stamp. And it was, it was like horrible. So when you got offered a job, you're like, yes, I'll take that job. I mean, it's not like now where you're like, well, I see that this job is going to open. I'm going to wait. There was no networking. There was nothing going on. You had no idea what was happening. So when I when we both yeah. got hired by the fir- by by we were both hired in the May uh, board meeting for Miller for Southern Local Perry County, we were about as happy as you could be. So both of us have jobs, mm-hmm. you know. Right before we were kind of even graduated slash we had just graduated, that was a big deal. Hmm. And so how many years did you guys work at, at Miller, which you just mentioned this, but for anybody listening, it's in uh, like Perry County here in, in Southeast Ohio. It was, uh, we worked there for two years. Um, I worked there for two, Tara worked there for two. Um, Coach baseball, uh, my first year there, it was, when you ask for an educational story, I'll tell you some more about Miller, but um, I, I, I taught there for two. She taught there for two, and then we actually moved to McConnellsville in between the summer, in between our first and second year of teaching. Now, at some point, though, and I don't know, I don't want to speak for both of you, but you taught at Waterford, right, for a little while? Then I went to Waterford. Washington County, it's one of our neighboring districts. So strangely enough, when we bought the house in McConnellsville, that really changed what we were doing. We were living in Bremen, which is in Fairfield County over by Lancaster. And Lancaster is awesome. If you if you're southeastern Ohio town, Lancaster is a beautiful old town. Yeah, I lived in I, Lancaster. Yeah, I, I remember your first your are your guys' first podcast. I listened to it. I'm like, oh, I learned all this stuff about Ryan Weary. Um, I we love living in Bremen. Bremen is a great little town. Um, had actually two of our fraternity brother and a sorority sister for Tara who ended up getting married. Also lived in Bremen. We had so much fun, and then we found our house, and we live in a beautiful. 1870s brick victorian right out of the square in mcconnellsville actually i was going to a baseball game on the bus from miller to waterford woke up my assistant coach and said hey hey, where are we and he looks around he's like morgan county and i'm like morgan county where's morgan county he's like it's in between you know like because i'm not from down here so 
I'm like, wow, this is a beautiful little town. And so that weekend we actually went driving and cause that's what you do when you have no money and a kid and in your live in Southeastern Ohio. So we would go driving all the time. And, and so we found our house for sale, uh, creeped in, looked in all the windows. It was, it was empty, put a bid on it that spring and ended up moving in August. So when we moved here, we had one more year at Miller and then she ended up going to Morgan and she's been at Morgan ever since never has left. And then, you know, just because of the location, it gave me opportunities to then be within Washington County striking distance. And then also, you know, still within the MBL, Muskingum Perry area as, as well. So I ended up doing two years at Waterford after my two at, at Miller, which were great. Uh, I loved working at Waterford. I had one of the best teams I've ever taught with uh, guys there. A lot of them are still teaching. Some of them have retired now, but it was, you know, the, the lore of Waterford guys, Schwinnemann, Sims, and uh, Powers, and, you know, just, just some guys that we would have, so, Roger French, we would have so much fun um, at lunchtime. And, you know, Kenley Schwinnemann and myself, who Kenley still teaches science there, were two young pups, and these guys, you know, Garrett Powers and Roger French and, and uh, Mr. Sims took us under their wings and made us do things, you know, haze the hell out of us for two years, it seemed like, but it was a lot of fun. And then, and then I ended up teaching two years at Crooksville before I went into administration. So during, during your time, uh, throughout those three schools, you, you got your administrative degree from, from where, 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 where'd that take you? I was, you know, I knew I wanted to go to administration pretty much Pretty much after about three months on the job, I had Chuck Byers, who was my principal at Miller, really coddled me and, and, and took me under his wing and said, you're going to be a great administrator. You have good foresight. You have good leadership skills. We need to get you on the track to be an administrator. And then everything kind of went sideways my second year at Miller. Um, but, you know, just I knew I wanted to be an administrator. When I went to Waterford, uh, Bob Caldwell was there as a superintendent and Caldwell's you know, one of those guys that he'll tell you, he'll talk your ear off. Very, we have very similar personalities in that sense. There's never a short conversation with either of us. Bob's office was in the high school, in the high school office. So you kind of go in there, kind of where Doug's office, Doug Baldwin's office is now. You go in there and it's right next to the principal's office. So you can talk to both of them. And then when I went to uh, Crooksville, Steve Pompey was there. And Steve was the high school principal, great mentor as well. And they all told me, like, if you go to if you go and do this and you really want to be a principal, go to OU. They have a good program. It's two and the, they had the rural program going on at the time. And it's it's essentially two years, two summers, super intense, um, probably the most intense educational experience I had ever had. Uh, it was extremely difficult, but it was the first time I'd ever seen the power of a cohort um, where you're we had the same 14 people in that class. Every single time we, we moved together, we had all our classes together, two full summers where, where it was full time, driving to OU from McConnellsville four days a week, all summer long in those summers. And, and it, was, it was amazing how much I uh, got from that. And I, I look back at that, that was probably one of the most uh, impactful things I could have done as an administrator. And it really set me up for, for the rest of my career. I got a lot out of it. I was very lucky. And those two years were um, while I was at Crooksville. And then, uh, yeah, so then I finished 
And I actually got offered a job at New Lex and took that job as an assistant principal at the middle school. It's a good story too. And then with only worked for about three days. And <laughs> then I just magically got the job at Crooksville as their assistant principal. So I went from New Lex to Crooksville. And I don't even think New Lex ever paid me when I think back about that. But um, so yeah, they owe me three days of work. And then, so then I went to Crooksville as their assistant principal for two years. And then, yeah. What, what, so what, what in the world happened between like, they're like, Crooksville's like, you know what? We're just going to trade. We're going to take Kyle in here. You can take this guy or this person, but we really need Kyle at this time. I mean, what was that? A, was it, that a back, backside backyard deal? What was that? It, it was truly like that. Um, again, pre cell phones. So, I don't know what people do. You know, this is our lives pre-cell phone. All of us are old enough to understand this. I get this job and I'm an assistant principal and it's July. So it's it's the beginning of July and maybe even the end of June. And I got hired in the June board meeting. So it was the end of June. And like any administrators have to do, you got to fill slots. So we started interviewing and we were at this point where I was working with this woman and she was the principal. Um, it was a middle school, 5-8, and I had moved into my office. It was like July 5th, and it was like my first day, right after July 4th, and we started interviewing. And actually, one of the guys I ended up interviewing is now the treasurer at, after a long winding career too, Dave Roop. It's so weird how this all kind of ties together. But end up interviewing, doing all these things, working, starting setting up curriculum, meeting staff, all that kind of stuff. and on the on the second day of the job i get this call well i don't get the call a secretary gets the call for the office and i come out of an interview and think shaking this guy's hand and he's leaving and the secretary goes um kyle there's somebody on the on your sister is on hold on line one i'm like my sister okay how did katie and my sister four years younger than me she was uh she had just got her first teaching job. So I'm like, maybe she needs something about teaching. I'm like, oh, this makes sense. So I go to my office, I, I hit, you know, line one, and it's my friend, Aaliyah Barker, who is the curriculum director at Crookstall. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm like, well, I'm at New Lex. Obviously you called me here. I said, I'm the assistant principal at the middle school. She's like, I know I called you there. And I'm like, she's like, this won't work. And she like literally just hangs up the phone. And I'm like, well, that that was a weird conversation. But if you know Aaliyah, she's all like dramatic and you know, all like in a tizzy. It was like the weirdest 30-second phone call. So we had another interview. So I went back and did another interview, come back out, and I have a message. Your brother's called. Can you call him back? And here's the number. So I'm like, my brother. So I look at the number and it's a 982 number, which is Crooksville's like thing. And I like, obviously it's not my brother. So I call the number, Steve Pompey answers the phone and he's now the superintendent at Crooksville and who was the high school principal for me. And he's like, listen, I'm gonna make an assistant principal position at Crooksville High School. If you come over here, we're gonna hire you for this job. I'm like, really? Okay. Do I have to interview or anything? He's like, no, but you got to come over here and meet with me. So I was like, all right, sounds good to me. So after the after I got done doing the interviews, I said, what time are you going to be there? Till? So I drove over to Crooksville, 
from New Lex after I was done interviewing for positions. I haven't got to the weird stuff yet. And yeah, so I, he gives me the job. Aaliyah's like, thank God you start tomorrow kind of thing. Well, I got, I'm like, I got to resign because by this time we're getting real close to the, to the July, de- you know, like the deadline, like we can only resign by a certain deadline. This is crazy. And one of the guys that was a good friend of mine from my cohort was going to be the assistant principal at the high school. So I was the assistant principal at the middle school. And one of my really close friends, Tom Willison, who was a teacher from Sheridan, but actually was a one-year principal at, at Frontier High School while we were still getting our master's degrees, and then got the assistant job at New Lex. So I was like, man, I'm leaving a team that I kind of like. So the next day I go and I'm going to resign. But then in my mind, I'm like, you know what? If I can leverage more money, maybe I should do this. So my wife and I are like, she's like, well, you really want to give up working with Aaliyah? I'm like, no, but if they pay me a lot more, maybe I can leverage this. And she's like, well, see what you can do. So I go in thinking, I'm, I got both jobs, bird in the hand. I got one in each hand. And I'm like, okay, let's see who's going to give me a little bit more money. And at the time, I was only going to make $46,000 as an assistant principal at, at New Lex. Perksville is offering me $52,000. And I'm like, wow, that's a big difference. So I went in and I go into the principal and I'm, t- I'm going to tell her first. And she's like packing her office up. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I got a job at Lancaster, Lancaster City. I'm leaving. And I'm like, what? I'm like, did you tell Dr. Rentschler, the superintendent yet? She's like, I just left his office. I'm like, holy shit, that's so funny. She's like, why? I'm like, because I'm going to go resign too. Or I might ask him for your job. She's like, well, you should ask him for my job. That's a great idea. I'm like, okay. So then I go up to the high school, which is like right next door. And I just walk over there and I, I go into the high school and I say to my, I say to the, go in my friend's office, who's the assistant principal there, who just got hired the same time, same board meeting I did. And he's packing up his office. And I'm like, Tom, what are you doing? He's like, I got a job at Southwest city schools. I'm going to go be one of the assistant superintendent or assistant principals at Southwest city schools. I'm like, what did you resign? He's like, yep. I just resigned today. That's crazy. He goes, it's not, that's not the crazy part. He goes, the principal resigned yesterday. I'm like, what? I said, I'm going to go resign today too. So there's literally the two high school people and the two middle school people all resign. So I walk into Dr. Rentschler's office and I said, Dr. Rentschler, he looks at me and he's like, yes, Mr. Rudin. And he was this kind of stuffier, older guy. And he really got mad at you if you didn't call him Dr. Rentschler. So I called him Dr. Rentschler. I don't even know if I could tell you his first name, but I said, Dr. Renschler, unfortunately, I'm here to resign. He's like, that seems to be going around. I said, I'd love to have a conversation with you if you'd like to, you know, have a conversation about the open positions that you currently now have, because I know you have, you know, obviously two principal positions and the assistant at the high school. And he looks, he just looks up from his desk and he goes, no, we're good. And I'm just like, okay. And I put my resignation on his desk and I walked back out. It was the weirdest that interaction. Is, well, that's weird. Like he had somebody already in mind, like he had a plan or this was just like, yeah. If you, knew New, Lex, if you <laughs> knew New Lex before when Dr. Renshaw was, you know that they didn't have a plan. They have a plan now. The superintendent there is a good friend of mine, but 
they really sputtered. And Bobby Dodd was there for a little bit when they finally got a hold back a hold of him as a principal and, and you know, was work, worked his way up. But they were really kind of lost under Dr. Rentschler, and I can understand why. Leadership does matter. And to let three administrators go and, and one standing in your office, you obviously hired him, um, and not try to talk him into at least staying, that's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Not even to engage me in a conversation, because he really didn't ask why I was leaving or where I was going to. Um, it was very, very odd. Very, very odd. And I was obviously I'm very glad I left because that that would not have been a school that I would have wanted to stay at where the superintendent didn't have the foresight or the leadership to have a conversation. I am disappointed that you were not traded for an administrator to be named later, but um, that's another. Yeah. So you uh, you go back to Crooksville and, and you worked there for a little while, but at only, some point you ended up at Morgan, but then back at Crooksville, right? Yeah, it was uh, only I was only was only there for two years as an assistant principal. And then again, I get one of those weird calls from the Morgan superintendent on my way home right before I left for the day and said, hey, can you stop by my office? And actually I was running the soccer league, the youth soccer league at the time. And I thought it was about his daughter's teams that he didn't like the teams and he wanted to talk to me. Like, I literally thought he was calling in a favor. Kind of I'm like, sure, I can stop by your office. It's on the same street that I live on. So I stopped by. I go into his office and at the time the assistant superintendent who was Lori Lowe and the superintendent I go into his office and he says to me well I got some news and it's kind of confidential where we haven't it hasn't broke yet but um I'd like to talk to you about it I'm like sure and he's a really good guy really like them he's like I just got hired at Olin Tangy I'm like school district as what he's like the superintendent i'm like wow that's freaking awesome and he was obviously uh we know how this works and, and i know how this works now in my job you know he was good enough and so scott davis was his name so scott was going to go to Olin tangent and he goes i said okay so what do you need me for he goes i would like to hire you as the assistant superintendent and I kind of like turned my head and said, assistant superintendent. And I said, you know, I'm the high school, I'm a high school assistant principal. And he goes, I said, so I haven't led a building. He goes, we know you've been leading that building for the last two years. And I said, well, it, and I was in a weird circumstance. And I said, yeah, you're right. And he goes, everybody's raving about you. And we, if we don't get you now, we're not going to be able to get you. And I said, He's like, you're not going to last very long. You're, you're going you're gonna to move up real quick. So if I don't get you now and lock you into, uh, into a, a district-level administrative position, we're not going to be able to get you. And I said, okay. I said, well, is it going to pay you? He goes, you're going to make more money than you've ever made before. This is going to be the biggest raise you're ever going to get. I said, wow, that's freaking awesome. Because at this point, I'm like 27, 28. And I'm like, and I got, I think at that point we had three children, three boys, and I don't, yeah, Tara wasn't pregnant yet with Evelyn, but it was one of those ones where it was like, wow, this is a big deal for me and my family to be able to just walk, literally their offices are by the same road that my house is on. So that's fantastic. So then I ended up being the assistant superintendent for 
for Morgan for the next four years. And strangely enough, I go back to Crooksville um, as the superintendent after that for three years. And then I, that's when I ended up at Warren after that. So I ended up spending a total of seven years at Crooksville in three different roles, which was the longest stint I had for a long time until I finally broke that barrier when I was at Warren in my eighth year. So now we're together, Ryan. Ryan and I have been together now for 10 years together. This is our 10th year together at Warren. So this is by far the longest I've ever spent in one district. So I got to ask real quick in, in all that, um, and I kind of missed this when we were talking about the military and college. Um, did, did you hold any jobs outside of education? So Ryan and I have shared with this, like I worked for Kroger for six years. I did construction. Like I, I've kind of done a bunch of stuff outside of teaching. What about you? I know you have the military experience. I did the military thing. That was probably the biggest thing. And and you're and you're really saying like as an adult, or are you saying like even as a kid, if it impacts what you do now, like uh, for example, me, yeah, as an adult, one summer when you're teaching, you know, you don't make very much money. I was like, oh yeah, I'll manage the public pool. Worst yeah. job I've ever had. Yeah, I'll never do horrible. that again. If somebody says they're managing a public pool, I have great respect for them. You know, I would say I had a I had all the traditional odd jobs as a kid, you know, umpired, like I said, a lot. That's what I did all the way through. And then I worked at Chi Chi's during the day because you umpired at night. So I worked at Chi Chi's during the day for like three summers uh, when I was in college. And Chi Chi's was a Mexican restaurant chain that no longer exists, but it was that was a blast, you know, serving during the day and, and uh, you'd have the same lunch crowd all the time. It was very repetition, but working in restaurants, I, I worked at Little Caesars uh, in high school at one point. That was a fun couple of years. You know, I always think back to the people you work with and just the team that you were on. That had a lot of influence over me at the time. Um, then when I got into my adult life, my wife and I ran the baseball league and the soccer league. And I more or less, we ran the, the soccer league together. We were the only ones that ran the soccer league. So it was just her and I. We did that for five years while our kids were really younger um, or little. And then we, I also ran the baseball league for probably seven years. But the only other job job I had where I got a paycheck, I worked for the hardware store. When I was doing grad work, it was like, we need extra money. Because we had no, you know, like you said, teachers don't make anything. So it's like trying to pay for grad school, trying to have gas to go, try to eat lunch. So I ended up for, for two years, for those two years that I was doing grad school, I'd work on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then Saturday mornings um, at the at Ace Hardware here in town, right outside of town. And that was that was probably some of the most I know when I retire, if I have the opportunity, I can still do something. Walking down to the local hardware store and working would be uh, very, it was so rewarding from that sense. And I love working at my house. So it's one of those things where you get that guy that comes in and the store's just about ready to close and he's covered in poop. And he's like, my septic system just blew up. And I'm like, oh, dude, he's like, I need one of these. And it's literally just, you know, like covered. And you're like, but we don't have that. But what I can do for you is we can figure out how we're going to make this work just for tonight so that you can at least, you know, do whatever you need to do and, you know, 
concoct something together from all these other things that are in this store. And that problem solving and that working with people was some of the most fun I ever had. I, it, it, it fits my personality really well to go and do that. I loved walking around, you know, looking at those things and being like, man, I, when, when you walk into, like when the Menards opened in Athens and I walk into Menards now, it just feels like the greatest, like an adult playground. I am so happy when I walk into that store. I just, ah, just fantastic. I love that kind of stuff. I, I like Ryan, I know it's like you working on your car, uh, you know, your truck, I shouldn't say car, your truck, your big old truck. When you work on your truck and you go and you buy that thing and you're like, I'm going to put this on my truck and it's going to, you know, like that feeling. That's how I feel when I walk into a nice hardware store and I find that thing that I want to fix my house with and, and do. So, yeah. I would say that was that was the only other things I've done. I can't imagine Menards because it's like when I walk in there, you, you just wait for the angels like, oh, you know, you're yeah. going, you're fine. Anything in Menards, you know, I know I, 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 it's so I don't know about you guys, but when I walk into my Menards, the first thing I always want to do is pull out my phone and call my dad. It's like, <laughs> it's like one of those feelings where you're, you're like, hey, dad, did you know they have this? Did like, you see? Have you been in Menards lately? <laughs> Have you been in Menards? Did you see what they just got? And you're like taking a picture and you're sending it to them. I love that. And because again, I have an old house. So I'm, we've slowly renovated just about everything in it. So, you know, going and doing those things and, and learning those tricks of the trade and, and watching home improvements, I do that. That's my kind of uh, thing that I do. I, I'm still a little fascinated by the, the carousel between the MVL schools. It's just, that's, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's unique. I don't, cause I don't, because you know, Washington County, we have six different schools here in Washington County and maybe we trade a little bit of administrators every once in a while. You know, I've, I've seen that before, but that, that, that's the story that you just told was just like, that's just crazy. That's just like people, you know, ship and, find, and the next school district over, we're finding these. Oh my gosh. It is. And, you know, now that the world is the way that it is, I'll tell you, one of the things that is so different from when I started in teaching and educating and then getting at the building level. And I think, Ryan, you feel this. Ryan Lemley, you feel this. We are so much more interconnected to the school districts around us on purpose. We have learned that collaboration is the only way that we will survive so many of the things that we're doing by banding together and and making an imprint and, and having a the voice that we have at the state level. We have never had that until I became an administrator. And it, it goes back to those people, those giants that I feel like I sit on their shoulders, the Bob Caldwells, you know, of the world that are that generation, David Branch, who was at MBSC and, and Newcomerstown and, and uh, Philo at, at Franklin Local. Um, there's, just, there's just this group of guys that were ahead of us. And now there's this group that's all our age that are having, you know, the, the Dan Leffingwells, the Stephanie Starchers, uh, myself, you know, there's, there's these people that just have the ability to pick up the phone and make and have an impact. And truly, um, I don't know if people understand our collective voice in Southeastern Ohio, the chorus region, the coalition of rural and Appalachian schools, we can, we, we have made such a difference in the last 15 years last five years and, and, and to come by that collective voice and, and just banding together and, you know, who do you know? And, 
and tying that together. We have a guy now at Bassett, Tom Perkins, who spent some time even at Warren at one point, then was at Noble. Um, he's been at, he's at Rolling Hills and he was at Sheridan. Um, just one of my good friends. And, you know, now he's at Bassa and he's one of us and he's running one of the state aid organizations. And, and there's this group of uh, educators that seem Jim Mahoney would be one of those giants that we stand on the, his shoulders and, and has really changed education because of that. So that changing around really didn't happen until recently, because I don't think people realized how important it was to reach outside of your school district and find that new blood to bring in um, because leadership matters. And if you don't have the right people in the right seats and uh, on the bus, it, it just doesn't go anywhere. So, um, yeah, I was very fortunate, like I said, to be in that many school districts over that line. I got to see some very interesting things. Um, in six years, of it, I only taught for six years, but in those six years, I was under every type of schedule, a traditional block, an alternative block, an eight period day. And, you know, couple of modified schedules within that. And Ryan, you know how different that is to teach under those schedules. And it just changes what you do and how you how you reach out to your students and what your what your whole thought process is if you're on a modified block compared to a traditional block or an eight period day for that matter. And you have a very short 42 minute period and you're you've got to get you got to hit them, you know, hit the bell to bell and you you better never stop talking because you're not going to get everything done. So I, I was very, very fortunate to be able to get the viewpoints that I have now. And that, that to me, that diversity of, of educators and, and districts has given me the view that I had when I came to Warren and kind of like, kind of put together since we've been, been here. So, so oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. Well, I was going to, I was going to tap in on that, on the leadership part of that real quick, because you're, your your leadership story, uh, thinking about it, has put you in charge real early. Because when I think about an official in baseball and you know, do a high school kid doing a high school game in a D one game, uh, there's a lot of trust there. But there's there's a leadership that's involved there that you have to have in the field uh, to that that people you know respect. I guess in that case. And so as a teenager, you had this you had this leadership. You had this leadership that you were put into, uh, and then from there, it seemed like real, real early. Because you know, twenty-seven, like in my twenties, I was I was just worried about teaching and coaching at the time, and you know, and having a kid. But um, you had the Army Reserves as a background too. You had a very early leadership style that put you. I don't know the spotlight is the word, but did. Did you feel the pressure uh, from like early on to do those things, or was it just like a natural thing that just happened? I, I want to say pressure, but that's what you said is true. I I mean, I guess now that I'm saying it out loud, now as I'm 46 and saying it backwards, I had these people that were always around me, either principals or bosses, or you know, in the military, sergeants, and you know, I was platoon guide when I went to basic training. Uh, there was no doubt about it. Kyle's going to be the platoon guy. 15 minutes into the first time getting yelled at, they're like, yep, that guy's going to be in the leadership cadre. And if you've ever gone through basic training, you know what I'm saying. That That's one of those things that you identify who that person is. They're going to be in charge of the 200 people in your, you know, or the 35 people in your squad and, and or in your, your platoon. And you're one of four people out of the 200 that are in charge. So 
it's always been that way for me in weird ways. Even in high school, I was always that guy. But it was because, truthfully, I was willing to do the work mixed with I was willing to listen, but I was also willing to do what I was told in a way and make sure that the mission or the, the objective was always taken care of. And not until you're a superintendent and sitting in the big chair was I ever always the ultimate person in charge because all those other roles, you always answer to someone. Only as the superintendent in the superintendent role for the last 13 years, you really, yes, we have a board, but day-to-day -day interaction is, is you. You're the one making the decision. So I guess all of those other positions and roles had people like pushing me forward being like, yep, you're going to be the, I can remember sitting at a, a baseball meeting where I was just going to be a coach and they're like, oh, we're taking nominations for president. And I was nominated. I'm like, guys, I, I, I'm not even from here. I don't even know everybody in the room. They're like, we can tell you're going to be president of the association. What? 23. I don't really know what I'm doing. They're like, you're in charge. And I've always been that guy um, from that perspective, which is fine. Um, and I, and I always, I don't stress. I, I'm the kind of person that deals with that. I, I'm, that's just, I guess, who I am. So you've, uh, you've mentioned a couple of names already. You've talked about Bob Caldwell. You, you mentioned some people that you work with. Who, who, would, who else would you say have been uh, major leadership influences on you? Well, the first principal I had, Chuck Byers, um, which came full circle at one point. I, uh, Chuck Byers was my principal for two years, and we went through a hard second year together. Um, but we, we, I cut my teeth with him in, in, in learning what, what education was about, what unions were about, what small town Appalachia was about um, in those two years. It was a hard lesson in a lot of ways, um, but really helped mold me in the, to the, to the, actually in a lot of ways to the dad I am today. Bob Caldwell, for sure. That was a person that he actually is in the same fraternity I am from Rio. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but we, we've, we've, we've always been close ever since I taught with him or for him. Um, Steve Pompey, who was my principal and superintendent at Crooksville, uh, Aaliyah Barker, who is one of my closest friends and is the curriculum director there. And now I definitely call her um, somebody I work with and is, 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 a, is somebody that we work together. But she was definitely one of those people in, in the leadership role that really mentored me through. Um, but it's, it's also the smaller roles. It's the people that have been underneath me when I was in leadership roles that really did some amazing things were, with just how they interacted with me. You know, the when you have a good secretary or a good person managing underneath you that's a good class, I had some people like that that I look back and and because of their grace and their understanding of how their building was running because they had done it for 20, 30 years, it seemed like, they knew every button to push with every person and was willing to whisper in my ear to say, here's how you're going to be successful, sweetie. You need to do this. And I had some really good secretaries um, that that really helped me and managed me through that. Um, I had a really good payroll person at, at Morgan. I had a really good treasurer that really helped me through those those things. Really good secretary at Crooksville that she was awesome. And those were the people that, you know, maybe didn't mentor me, but mentored me, you know, took care of me, um, were, were 
were, were the ones running out in front of a parent that was ready to, you know, go off out, you know, on whoever was in the office and diffusing the situation before it even got to me or stopping the phone call from going through when they knew that if I would have taken it then, I probably would have said some things that I would have gotten in trouble for. So that those were the people that I think always had my back. And, and those people I, I probably learned the most from. Well, I can relate to that because I had uh, Kathy Niehaus and, and Connie Kaufman for a long time. Mm-hmm. And as a young administrator, they, they did a lot for me. And, and like you said, maybe keeping me from taking that call when I was upset or I owe those two a lot. So I can definitely relate to that. Um, so what I'd like to do right now is well, let's uh, call it a day for this week. Uh, we've still got a lot more coming with Kyle on next week's episode. So tune in as we'll get to uh, some really pertinent educational information. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Ryan and Ryan Education Today. Tune in next week for more with Kyle Newton.